Turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, we continue in our study. We're going to try to cover verses 1 through 13 tonight as we go through this book, very important book in the scripture. That for people who think doctrine doesn't matter, then you might as well throw this book away because that's what it's about. It's about doctrine. The whole book is about doctrine. It's about the misuse of doctrine and it's about false doctrine. It is important what you believe. It can make the difference between heaven and hell. I want you to notice beginning in verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, I would, they were even cut off, which troubled you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do pray our hearts will be open, not only to be taught, but Father, to be grounded, that we not be blown about by every wind of doctrine For those winds are surely howling all about us today. I pray the Spirit of God would do a work in our hearts. And we'll thank you for it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's review some of the things that we have learned. First of all, the author of the book is who? Paul. Very good. I gave you two possible dates for the writing of this book. The first one is the later date, which is what? 58. And the second one is an earlier date, which is what? 49, very good. Now, the commentators disagree on which year. There's a few things that enter into it, but may I say that the book gives evidence that either one of those could be correct. Having said that, let me say it doesn't matter. The teaching of the book is the same regardless. We know it was given by God, the Holy Spirit. If he'd have wanted us to know exactly what year it was, he would have told us, and he doesn't do that. All right, but as I say, there's evidence possibly for either one of those dates that it could be. The book is written to who? The churches of Galatia. Very good. And uh, now Galatia, of course, is that central part of what we know of today as Turkey. When the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, uh, they went to Antioch of Pisidia, they went to Iconium, to Lystra, to Derbe, and they won people to Christ there, and they began 
uh, they began churches in that area. But it was to the churches of that area that he is specifically writing. Of course, God has saved it for all of us because God has a message in it for every one of us. The purpose of the book is what? To correct error about Very good. And the theme of the book is what? Justified by faith. Now, this is very important. There's only one gospel, only one way to receive it, and that's what he's dealing with. Uh, We'll go into what created the problem for this book to be written, but the theme of the book is justified by faith. He is not speaking against standards. He's not running down standards. He's not even had anything to say about standards. What he's had to say is the difference between salvation by works and salvation by grace through faith, being justified by faith before God. And that's still the subject when we get to chapter 5. It's been the subject throughout the book. The key verse is found in chapter 2 and verse what? 16. So let's all find it and we'll read it out loud together. Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now you remember, and as this book is being read in each of these churches, the Asia Minor, they were expected to understand what he was talking about. This subject was not a mystery any longer to these people once the Apostle Paul had written it. Even though you have a number of Bible books that had not come along yet, uh, the Gospel of John had not been written yet for them. First, second, and third John had not been written. Uh, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ had not been written. First and second Timothy had not been written. Titus had not been written. The book of Romans had not been written yet. There were several Bible books they did not have. These people were expected to understand it. And they were expected to understand it without a commentary. Isn't that amazing? That possibly they could understand the Bible without some theologian's commentary. But that is why it was written. It's a simple subject. It's just being justified by faith. And it's very, very plain. After his opening salutation, he begins with a very stern rebuke. He really doesn't say anything good about these people in the beginning of the book. Unlike the letters to the people at Corinth, you remember in that book, in the very first chapter, he says some very good things about them before he begins to rake them over the coals for their wrong actions. But the big difference you see between Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and the book of Galatians, with Corinthians, it had to do with the things they were doing wrong. In the book of Galatians, it was things they were beginning to believe wrong not doing wrong. If these people were trying to be justified by keeping the law, they weren't out there living in sin. They were trying to be as good as they could. The problem was their motivation was in order to gain righteousness and you get righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, not by your works or any of that. So he rebukes him right at the very beginning, lets him know how important this is. He says, if we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then he basically repeats that in verse 9. And then he gives his testimony about how he got the gospel. He got it 
from Jesus Christ himself. He didn't learn it from James, the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He didn't learn it from Peter, didn't learn it from the other apostles. He learned it from Jesus Christ himself. So that put Paul's whole argument on this basis right here. Either he did get it from Christ or he didn't. One of the two. Either he was truthful or he was a liar. Now this is the man that had hazarded his own life to go and win these people to Christ. They needed to understand that this man who had gotten the gospel to them did tell them the truth. And that truth, that gospel he got, he got from Jesus Christ himself. And then you got to, we got to chapter 2. And he continued in his testimony about going to Jerusalem. And when he did talk to Peter and he did talk to James and the other apostles, they had nothing to add to his message, but they were in total agreement with what he preached. But then there became a problem. You'll remember in chapter 2, he says, when Peter went up to Antioch, where Barnabas and, the, and Paul had been pastoring and leading the church there, that when Peter went up there, he ate with the Gentile believers, he ate with the Jewish believers, and everything was fine. But then we find that there were these Judaizers, there were these people who were believing that you had to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved, who were in the church at Jerusalem. And when they went up to Antioch, Peter separated himself from the Gentile Christians. And he only ate with the Jewish believers. And then you remember he even influenced Barnabas. Barnabas, that good man, to also only eat with the Jewish believers. And the Bible says, Paul says, that he withstood Peter to his face for he was to be blamed. You see, our actions, our life should go along with what we believe. And we know that salvation is by grace through faith. We ought to live like it. We ought to act like it and all of that. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Now you remember, and we discussed this uh, several times already, that after Paul had left that area of central Galatia, there were people who came in. And a matter of fact, the Bible puts it this way in Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. And certain men which came down from Judea, taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And Peter at that time stood wholeheartedly with the apostle Paul on the fact that nobody gets saved by the law. You're saved by grace through faith. The apostle Peter had been taught that by the Lord himself. You remember before he won Cornelius, Cornelius and his household to the Lord. But so now here we are. He gets into this subject of being justified by faith. We see it mentioned over and over again. We just, for instance, read chapter 2 and verse 16. You go down to verse 21 and verse 21. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Then in chapter 3, he asked them the question, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set before you. And he says, This only when I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Well, again, it was by the hearing of faith. He said, Are you so foolish to think that what you got by the hearing of faith you could complete by the works of the law? Couldn't be done. They had been snowed. It does matter what you believe. Our gospel is worth standing for. 
Remember, it said of Paul and Barnabas, there was no small dissension and disputation with them. They stood for the truth of God's word. I'd hate to think where we'd be at today with all the problems that we already have if these men had not stood for the truth in the beginning. You go to verse 8 of chapter 3 in the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith again. And then you go down to verse 9. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 11, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And he says the law, matter of fact, in, um, in verse 12, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Thank God Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. You get over to verse 24 of chapter 3, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. He's still dealing with being justified by faith. He's not changing the subject. He's not talking about standards. He's not talking about uh, saying something's wrong about if you don't go to Hollywood movies or uh, if somebody says you need to dress right. Uh, That's not it. Now, the wrong would be if somebody says you need to complete your faith by dressing right in order to go to heaven. Now, that would be wrong because you're not justified by how you dress. You're justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's dealing, this is a very plain matter. He has not spoken one word against standards for living. He's not spoken one word against doing right. As a matter of fact, he's going to say a lot about doing right a little bit later on here in the book. But it's all been about being justified by faith. And you remember he talked about Abraham uh, having two sons, the allegory that was there that we covered last week. It was uh, the Holy Spirit's allegory to us. The story was true physically, exactly the way it happened. But there was a lesson to be learned about the difference between the law and uh, being justified by the law and justified by faith. And he uses Ishmael and Isaac to bring out that point. Interesting thing. Both of those boys were born before the law was ever given. But the lesson was very, very clear, and we covered that in some detail. Now, we get to chapter 5. Subject has not changed. Matter of fact, I want you to notice uh, back in chapter 4 and verse 20, he says this of them, of the people he's writing to. The last of the verse, he says, For I stand in doubt of you. In verse 11, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Because they were believing wrong, he was wondering if they really got it when he preached to them. He also covered in chapter 4 how they acted toward him when they got saved. How they were willing, they'd have given up their own eyes for him. They treated him as they would have if it had been Jesus Christ himself when when he went to them. But he says, am I become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. They have swallowed false teaching. Now, you think about this. They didn't have Internet back then. He didn't have to worry about people in the church getting up at 2 o'clock in the morning and get all the different Internet sites and all the different doctrines and get this hodgepodge of a mess and have that fill up their heads. I didn't have to worry about any of that. What they had to worry about was somebody coming into town and teaching something false. That's what they had to worry about. But think about it today. One of the things that makes pastoring really so difficult is there are so many avenues for people to get false doctrine. And unfortunately, when people get false doctrine, 
They don't keep it to themselves. They want to spread it. And they look for the easiest marks to spread it to. A lot of great uh, problems happen because of that. But anyway, we come to chapter 5. Notice he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now, what liberty is he talking about? You're saved, you're justified by faith. It, there's liberty in that. I don't have to worry about whether or not I did enough right things today in order to keep my salvation. I don't have to worry whether or not tomorrow I might say something or do something that would be wicked and wrong and my salvation would be gone. Thank God my salvation is settled. Heaven is my promised destiny because I took Jesus Christ as my Savior. And as Paul would write to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank God we are, we are uh, protected in Him. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Being confident of this one thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, that is liberty. Stand fast in that. Notice what he says. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what entanglement is he talking about? He happened to mention back there in chapter 4 and verse 10, ye observe days and months and times and years. He was talking about different things in the law, that they were trying to do that in order to complete their salvation in order to be saved. No, no, no. The just shall live by faith. If you're trying to do anything in order to be saved, you're lost. There are no works that can save you. We are justified by faith. And he'd already shown us and told us earlier in the book that that goes all the way back to the days of Abraham when the Bible says in Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And what he believed God about was the promise of a son. When he believed God about the promise of a son... God counted that to him for righteousness. Didn't say that he did anything. It's just that when he believed God, and there's a passage on that in Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 as well. So he says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto, unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now think about what he's saying. To be justified is to be declared not guilty. But notice he says here, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Question, wasn't Paul circumcised? He was, wasn't he? All right, so did Christ profit him nothing? Christ profited him nothing when he was trusting his circumcision to get the promise in order to go as a child of Abraham uh, to heaven. That didn't count him for anything. As a matter of fact, you remember it is in, let's see, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, you've got to mention that Paul had Timothy be circumcised because his mother was a Jewess, his grandmother was a Jewess, uh, and his father was a Greek, and it was well known his father was a Greek. 
But the reason he had Timothy be circumcised so that Timothy would not be a stumbling block to Jews that he would take the gospel to. He did not have him circumcised in order for Timothy to be saved. Please get, I'm repeating it, I know, over and over again. There is tremendous redundancy in this book for a purpose. So if anybody comes out with something else, you're wanting something else. It is plain. You're justified by faith, not by works. Now, we have kind of a correlation to that in our day, especially in the South. As you know, the Campbellites, which for most of them, their churches would be called Church of Christ. They believe that you, they believe in baptismal re- regeneration, that you have to be baptized to wash your sins away, and you are not saved until you do that. But even that doesn't guarantee you're going to heaven for them, because then you've got to do good, do good, do good. You might lose it. You might lose it on the last day before you die. You can live for God all those years, and then on the last day before you die, lose the whole thing. Why? It's a salvation of works. They are not justified by faith. They are justified by their works. They believe the gospel is you got to hear, believe, receive, repent, and be baptized and hold on to the end in order to get to heaven. They're justified by works. But works don't justify it. Works keep you lost. They've just simply taken baptism and substituted that for circumcision, but it's still the same principle. It's a justification by works, and it doesn't work, if you please. Notice he says, For I testify again, verse 3, to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. All right. You see, circumcision is only one part of the law. And when we say the law, we're talking about uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy that God gave to his people. And you remember the matter of circumcision was taken care of long before the law was actually given itself. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and other parts of the law. But uh, so it's just one part of it. So if you've got to trust uh, circumcision in order to get, get to heaven, circumcision according to the law, then you've got to obey every other part of the law. So he says, if that's what you're trusting, how are you doing it the rest of it? You say, well, I, I can't keep it. I'm, I'm, I'm always breaking it, it seems. There, there are just parts of the law that I, I just fall so far short in. That's exactly the point. There's no liberty in that. You are a slave all of the time. You can never feel victorious because even if you had salvation, you don't know you're going to have it in the next hour. And do you sit at the end of the day and take an accounting sheet and write down all the laws that you kept to see if you've kept enough of them? Even to the place of months and years and days and times. I mean, man, you got to keep it all. That's where the curse comes from and trying to keep it. So he says in verse 4, with regards to that, he just says, I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Verse 4, Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Now notice, he says, ye are fallen from grace. Now for the people who want to believe that you can lose your salvation, this is often the half verse that they go to, to say, you're fallen from grace. These would be the very people say that if you do certain things that are wrong, 
that are wicked, you have fallen from grace, you've lost your salvation. First of all, let me say, you're fallen from grace does not equal losing salvation. He's not dealing with these people about what they were doing. He was dealing with these people about what they were believing. He says, if you're, if you're trying to do these works in order to go to heaven, you've fallen from grace, from the teaching of grace. Now think with me for a moment. If they were trying to keep the law, then they were living pretty moral, clean, and straight lives. These aren't people who are committing adultery, not if they're trying to keep the law in order to go to heaven. These are not people that are committing drunkenness if they're trying to keep the law in order to go to heaven. These are people living as squeaky clean as they know how to live in order to get to heaven. They've fallen from grace. That's the point. When you hear somebody try to say, no, no, you can lose your salvation. The Bible said to the Galatians that they had fallen from grace. Therefore, see, they lost their salvation. No, they didn't. It had nothing to do with that. If you could lose your salvation, by the way, when would you lose it? Now, that would there be a very clear statement about that in the scripture if you could lose your salvation. But let me just say... What happened to Adam and Eve? First of all, they weren't saved in the beginning. They were innocent in the beginning. When they sinned, they died. How many sins did it take? One. Now, as man looks at it, how big a sin was it? I'm talking about as man looks at it. They didn't cut down the tree God told them not to eat of. They didn't steal all the fruit from the tree. As far as we know, they took one piece of fruit from the tree... They ate it. The moment they ate it, they died spiritually. If you could lose your salvation, you'd lose it the moment you sin. The, and what sin? According to First John chapter 3 and verse 4, Whoso committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, you'd have to keep getting saved throughout the day every day. Every time you sinned, whether it was a sin of commission, a sin of omission, or a sin of thought, or word, or deed, if you could lose your salvation. And we don't have a record of anybody in the scripture who lost salvation already had. So understand, they had fallen from the teaching of grace. They had accepted a teaching of works for salvation, and that's what he's dealing with them about, which is why he said he was afraid of them. He says, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness again. By how? Give me the word. Faith. Very plain. This is faith that he is talking about. Now, we go on to verse, uh, let's see. We want to get the stumbling over uh, one another. Notice what he says in verse 7. Ye did run well. Well, I, I didn't read verse 6, so I need to cover that. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but there it is again, but faith which worketh by love. So now he gets to verse 7, and he's asking them a question. He says, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Who did it? Who did it? You start listening to the wrong things, it'll hinder you in your life and in your walk. We've got people out there today trying to transition churches away from the Word of God, telling them that their King James Bible is not, is not the best Bible. 
And they, they're telling you, you need to listen to the experts. No, you just need to believe what God says in his word. It's very, very plain. Now, what's going to happen to these people? I'll tell you what's going to happen to these people. They're going to come to the conclusion since even the Bibles that they lift up. As a matter of fact, for these people, it's all about the King James. Don't follow it. Don't read it. That shouldn't be your Bible of choice. Pick any Bible you want, just not that one. You say, oh, well, which one do you have that is the Word of God that was translated literally word for word from the correct text and translated in the right way? Which one do you have? Well, you have to understand, uh, none of these are right in everything. Well, when you find out, you say, well, well then, how do you know whether or not one's right or not? If you don't have a standard of right, then it can be anything. It's like the little boy who came into his mom. He said, Mom, I'm nine feet tall. She says, what makes you think you're nine feet tall? He says, well, I made me a little ruler. And by the ruler that I made... I just added it up, and I'm nine feet tall. No, we have a standard for what a foot is. And if you're nine foot tall, you're, yes, very, very tall, but it meets the standard for each foot. You understand? They say they don't have a standard in any of their things. Matter of fact, some of their stuff is so ridiculous, and some of their stuff is even blasphemous, and they un, undo script. Well, you know that. Brother Brian did a tremendous job on teaching us on that not too long ago. But so who did hinder you? Who are these guys? Perhaps, maybe, Paul didn't know who these people were that had came in and given them false doctrine. But I'm going to tell you what. Now, they knew. They knew who they were. You know how we hate mentioning names? We like telling the story, but we hate mentioning names because we're afraid if we mention the names, those people are going to come back on us. Now, I don't know that these people ever told Paul who they were, but we do know the effect. Those people that came in with their false doctrine had hurt these people spiritually. Can you imagine what's going to happen to some of these churches that turn away from the King James Bible? They've only got really a couple choices. They either go to Calvinism or they end up becoming totally emerging church or not in church at all because they have no set authority. That's what happens to them. As a result, those churches that were good soul-winning churches that built those buildings, they won souls to Christ for all those years. Now they have cut their anchor and they're trying a boy, B-U-O-Y, instead of their anchor to keep them in place and it can't do it. So he says, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Uh, now get this, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now, Paul basically says the same thing back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 with a man that was taken in adultery with his father's wife when he told them that he was, they were to turn that one over to Satan for the structure of the flesh. Why? A little leaven leaven at the whole lump. Now, you cooks and bakers, you know that. But let's just take, for instance, let me use a, a separate illustration. Instead of leaven being put into bread... Let's take some pure, I, I drink bottled water because they tell me it's pure. Now, I know it's not really, you understand that. 
but it doesn't have a lot of the chemicals that city water has, okay? So I drink bottled water. Now, let's just say, though, that I got a hold of some bottled water. I don't know what I got back here. Uh, Aquafina. Somebody has told me that this is the best water that's out there. I don't know if it is, but they tell me that, and I've chosen to believe it because they bought it for me. But now, let's say this was a brand new bottle of water. I said, man, this is wonderful water. Satisfies thirst. And so, and then I go and I get a little dropper. I I get out a few drops of uh, cyanide. Just a, just a few drops, not much, and I put it in there. Just a few drops. At that point, I no longer have a bottle of water. I have a bottle of poison. But it's only a few drops. Most of it's pure. You know, the truth is, with a lot of these people going around spraying these false doctrines, there are some things they say that are true. There are some things that they say that are right and some things that they do are even right. But the poison that they put into it can only end up hurting people. It's important that we stand by, thus saith the Lord. Very, very plain. And I don't care if it's Calvinism or this or any of the new things that are going on today. Uh, that are so rampant in our day, we have to take a stand. Now, he says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. I just basically said to these people, I trust you're going to get this thing right now. You're going to stay away from that. You're going to stay away from what these people gave you. And you're going to hold to the truth. He said, I would, they were even cut off that troubled you. When it comes to the fundamentals of the faith, salvation, we don't sit around and discuss all the different ideas. We just simply teach the truth. And we, listen, this is a Bible-believing Baptist church. Presbyterian doctrine is not going to be taught here. We're not going to teach Methodist doctrine. We're not going to teach Jehovah's Witness doctrine unless we teach it as a cult. Do you understand? And we're not going to allow others to teach it. We don't have Bible studies where people come in from all different groups and everybody shares. No, no, no. We teach and stand for the truth. Period. And we don't allow the other. We don't allow just anybody to come in from outside and get up and start preaching. Not going to happen. As a matter of fact, you remember the Lord Jesus Christ commended the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 because they wouldn't suffer those that came in and said they were apostles and found out they weren't. They didn't allow them to continue. They stood for the truth of God's word. They weren't going to change on those things. So here's the job. Here's the job of a pastor. I'm the one as pastor of the church, I'm responsible to not allow certain things to take place. And you say, well, that just makes you a dictator. No, it makes me a watchman. And I take my job as pastor very, very seriously when it calls for standing up and exposing those who are teaching false doctrine. I've told you this illustration, I think, not too long ago. But uh, it was a few years ago. We were in this building. We've been in this building for 20 years now. 
uh, we'd only been here for a while, and uh, I had all, we had already had some Mormon missionaries come by a service uh, when we were over in the other building. It had been a while. What happens is these Mormon missionaries sometimes would come around, go into a church, not just Baptist churches. They'd come in late so that no one would stop them at the door. They would sit through the service and then engage people in conversation in the foyer after the service to try to get people to allow them to come to their home and talk about different doctrines. And so we had an evening here where a couple of Mormon missionaries came in while I was preaching. And you could always tell they had the white shirts and they had a little name tag on there, you know. Uh, they had the white shirt and a tie and the dark pants. And I understand that their dress is a little bit different today. And they even have lady uh, Mormon missionaries that come in. And as soon as they came in, I changed my message. I went to Galatians chapter 1. If we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you. Let him be accursed. And I thundered away at that. When the service is over, out in the foyer, a couple of them were standing out here trying to engage some people in conversation. And when Wally Bryant walked back there and he saw them doing that, he starts pointing at them and saying, wolves, wolves, wolves. I mean, he woofed them right out the door. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Pastoral staff has a responsibility to do that. Amen. We're, we're not going to suffer or I, the Bible word is suffer. We're not going to allow that kind of wickedness to go on. So. Anyway, the Apostle Paul, he says, I would that they were cut off, which trouble you. That you might write out here a little verse, Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. You don't be friends with them on Facebook. Hey, listen, if a Jehovah's Witness comes by and knocks on your door, they do not have the doctrine of Christ. They don't believe that Christ is God. They believe he is a God, but not the God. As a matter of fact, they believe he was the archangel Michael who became a God. They don't have the doctrine of Christ. And Second John tells us that we're not to let anybody who hasn't, doesn't have the doctrine of Christ into our homes. We're not to bid them Godspeed or we become a partaker in their evil deeds. Brother, standing for truth, if you don't do it, then it's not long you've got all kinds of poison error in your church. So then he closes in verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. He's not saying it's all right now to commit sin. We do not use the liberty that we have. Hey, I'm going to heaven. That's the only thing that matters. So whatever I do, it must be okay. No, sir. Matter of fact, he's going to deal with that a little bit later. It's just that we do not do good in order to get to heaven. We try to do good. We obey God. We seek not to sin because we are going to heaven. And the difference in those two statements is the difference between heaven and hell. We are justified by faith. Now, as I said before, it seems like, man, that's an awful lot of redundancy. It's the same thing. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, still talking about being justified by faith. 
Yes, because this is so fundamental. You've got to believe right. Or a whole lot of people end up getting injured and hurt. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And we love you tonight. We thank you for the truth of your word. I pray as a pastor, Father, that we'll be so grounded in this that we would never be led astray by it. There's something we have to be careful of because the devil himself started out in the Garden of Eden. Yea, hath God said, began to question the Lord. And if they just wouldn't have listened, if Eve wouldn't have listened, done her own study, just said, no, God said we're not to do it, it would have saved a lot of heartache throughout all this time in the world. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to stand for truth. And we'll thank you, Lord, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, 